Welcome to the O'Reilly Data Show. I'm your host, Ben Lorica. Today, I'm with Professor Ihab Ilyas of uh, the Computer Science Department at the University of Waterloo. Welcome to the Data Show, Ihab. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me. So first off, I thought we'd start with uh, a brief overview of your work as an academic computer scientist, just to, by way of background for people who are, may not be familiar with what you do. So what, uh, how would you classify your area of research? Um, I generally work in the area of what we call data management. So it's addressing problems around handling data and exploring data. And lately this has shifted to uh, large data sets that have a lot of errors and anomalies uh, that we have been collecting on a daily basis. So I'm a database guy. Uh, uh, that's the right classification, I guess. So um, I, th I guess now, uh, nowadays, you know, I mean, a lot of the, uh, I mean, I hate, I hate to uh, kind of uh, make this distinction, but a lot of kind of the uh, things that uh, we consider innovation in industry actually came out of industry, right? So kind of the uh, key value stores, the MapReduce uh, kinds of things. I guess Spark, you can consider as coming from academia, but that's much more of a compute engine. But on the data management side, at least in industry, at least many of the tools actually came out of industry. It's interesting that you said that. So whenever I hear that comment, I always reply by people that have been well trained in academia. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, industry uh, is uh, is no question have the right resources to tackle large scale problems. And as the scale of the problems becomes bigger and bigger, some of a sector of these problems become a little bit more challenging for academia to conduct real experiments, especially in the system experimental work. Uh, with, with cloud infrastructures and, and, and stuff like that, this, systems re this type of system research uh, has been easier in academia, but still uh, the amount of resources, interaction with enterprises and customers uh, from industry, I think gives them a head start on a subset of these problems. Uh, they do build on prototypes and ideas built in academia, but, but to a big extent, innovation undoubtedly happened. Uh, there as well. And I, actually, I guess, uh, as you just pointed out there, a lot of that is driven, was driven by necessity, right? Because basically, uh, the people in this large tech uh, and internet companies, primarily in the Bay Area, just couldn't uh, uh, use the tools that were around. So they had to basically build some of these tools from scratch. Having said that, a lot of these tools, you can trace hub to two systems in, in many ways, right? So Dynamo from Amazon and Figtable from Google. Uh, true, I think these were, um, these were uh, highly celebrated and they, they came as a, as a way to make people think differently about how to handle large data sets. Uh, although these two projects have, been, have morphed considerably since the start and now they are, they are, uh, uh, they are something different or at least led into something completely different. Uh, but, uh, but definitely it was a good wake-up call to academia, in my opinion, to how to uh, rethink the way we handle large data sets. Uh, and uh, and I, I think it created enough noise that at least in the database community, uh, scale and uh, deployment in real environment became a requirement to, to have any uh, serious paper looked at. 
Right. So, um, so inside, you know, one of the things that actually uh, I learned in the course of uh, just the last few years that surprised me was that inside data management uh, research in academia, there was always this uh, uh, subset of people who were interested in, I guess, what we would call data wrangling, data preparation, and data integration. Uh, and I say that because I think that uh, uh, my friend Joe Hellerstein has been talking about uh, these topics, at least on his academic, uh, on the academic side of what he was doing for many years. And uh, actually, I was kind of surprised that, that the data management guys were uh, interested in these topics. But in retrospect, it makes a lot of sense. It does, right? And then I know Joey very well. Uh, he, um, and um, ironically, in the database theory uh, community, these problems of handling, uh, dealing with data inconsistency and uh, certain and query answering and consistent query answering have been an, uh, a celebrated area of research. Uh, however, it has been uh, also difficult to communicate these results to industry. And the more practitioner, uh, database practitioners, if you like, they were more into the well-structured data and, and, and assuming a lot of good properties are around this data, but we're more interested in indexing this data, storing it, moving it from one place to another. Uh, and I think as people start to get real and, and deal with real data sets as opposed to inventing our own data sets, we discovered how dirty it is and how uh, uncooperating this data is. And, uh, and, and now uh, I think Back to your point of being, being pragmatic and being relevant, dealing with this uh, large amount of diverse heterogeneous data with tons of errors siloed across all business units in the same enterprise became a necessity. You cannot really avoid that anymore. And, uh, and, and, and that triggered uh, a new line of research for pragmatic ways of doing data cleaning and integration. If you like. And I guess to some extent accelerated by kind of the uh, diversity in data sources and data types, right? So I think, I guess, back in the old days, uh, people thought of this problem primarily uh, around structured data. Now, of course, we've got unstructured data of many kinds. You know, I mean, people think about text, but there's video, images, right? Absolutely. And it became an important asset, in fact. Um, I mean, they still, the, most of the processing stacks, most of the business intelligence stack are still dealing with structured data. But, but you're right, absolutely. The data sources, the acquisition layer in that stack has to deal with uh, large sets of uh, formats and, and, and sources. And you will hear about things like adapters and source adapters and, uh, and it become a market on its own, how to get access uh, and tap into these uh, sources because these are the kind of long tail of data. By the way, uh, there are so many terms around this topic now that I, I myself have gotten confused, <laughs> right? So for a while, people were like, uh, we, data wrangling. Then it became data refinement, data enrichment. Now I think I've settled on data preparation and data integration. So, what's your favorite term? I'll I'll pick I'll pick yours, and uh, and and I have I I heard an, another half a dozen at least uh, concordance and 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 and, and, and others, uh, but, but I think it's fine. Uh, I mean, I, I don't think these are creating confusion on um, on what people really mean. And if we pin it down to the actual activities uh, involved in this exercise, it's the same set of activities. It's data prep, 
uh, allowing it to be pushed down um, uh, the stack to be processed and recognized by uh, by other layers. So preparation, integration, curation, cleaning, uh, all of that are fine. I don't think it's it's creating a lot of confusion people have. So the way I think about this space, I mean, I guess uh, there's many aspects to it, right? So, but at a high level. Uh, you have the problem of scaling to many different sources. Uh, you have the problem of automation, which I think a lot of people aspire uh, to do, but in the end, uh, you end up building systems that have human in the loop, right? Yes. And of course, I guess the, the other problem is just uh, the systems problem itself. There's so many legacy systems. Um, that you might architect a system that you think can handle everything, but there's just so much variety of data sources. Correct. Um, so probably not as many people know uh, that you're also a co-founder of a company called Tamer that's actually in this space. So tell us about how you went from being a professor to being a startup co-founder. Uh, it. it it came naturally, I guess. I've been working on what you call data preparation and data cleaning for the last uh, five, six years. Um, the, the, the way I came to the subject was was also funny because we were talking about a subject called probabilistic databases and how to deal with data uncertainty. And that morphed into trying to find data sets that have uncertainty. And then we were shocked by how dirty the data is and how data cleaning is a task that's worth looking at on its own. So I had a couple of students. One of them was George Biscales, who graduated uh, as a PhD student from, from Waterloo. And... Uh, and uh, uh, we were uh, working together on a specific problem called deduplication. At the same time, uh, we were uh, starting collaborating with um, my co-founder, Mike Stonebreaker, who's, uh, as many people know, is a Turing Award winner this year, and uh, and his students. And uh, uh, with George, uh, Mike, uh, and his students, and Andy Palmer, his uh, long-time friend and uh, startup veteran, uh, we started Tamer. Was Sam Madden involved? Uh, no, Sam was not involved in that one uh, in particular. I think uh, uh, Mike uh, was uh, interested in how to deal with, how to tame a lot of data sources. And, uh, and he came from kind of schema matching and how to map the schemas of multiple uh, sources angle. And we came from how to dedupe a lot of records at the same time and, and things like that. So we, it was just natural to put these two pieces of work together driven by our PhD students and us. And uh, we started that project and it led into, uh, uh, it, it led into Tamer eventually. So I think this is a, a space where a lot of companies are sending me signals that they're playing in this whole space of data preparation. And, uh, and it turns out, in my estimation, actually, there's room for many types of companies, right? So, for example, your company and Trifanta at some level are doing data preparation, but really you're targeting different aspects of, of that problem. Is that the right assessment? Oh, your assessment is absolutely right. The, the problem is so hard and there are so many aspects of the problem. And, uh, you know, you pick a pivot and you will, you will see a completely different problem. Uh, Tamer see the problem as an enterprise-wide problem behind the firewall. Uh, tons of data sources, siloed, and not much on how the analytics drive the cleaning, but how to realize the data asset itself. 
and how to mine connectivities in the data and connect all of this data and also how to ingest it in eventually how to publish it back into the consumers and the enterprise. Multiple other companies and one of them is, is, is Trifecta is, is doing uh, really important things in the same space where the data scientists get engaged and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm stepping behind my knowledge barrier now about the exact details and positioning of Trifecta but this is my own perception and how the data scientists interact with sources for enrichment and preparation and transformations. So it's a, it's in my humble opinion, it's a very complementary task to, to what Tamer is doing. And there are multiple other companies. We ourselves in Tamer, we use specific products when we when we do data ingest, for example, and, uh, and certain data cleaning tasks and data transformation tasks, because there is no reason to reinvent the wheel. And, and we keep most of the innovation and the, and the value in, in, the, in the connectivity and the and kind of linking all of these data assets together across uh, organizations and sources and how to publish it down the stack. So yes, the problem is super hard and it's ri ridiculous to see uh, years and years in academia and, 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 and papers has not have not been uh, manifested itself into real solutions. So I'm really excited and glad I'm involved in the other side uh, as well and, and now developing real solutions that are large scale and get used by large enterprises to to really improve their product and 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 and, and their value proposition I'm, I'm i'm extremely excited about that so i guess uh, one of the aspects here that uh, really interests me is that uh, there's no way to completely automate these tools right so you, i think even tamer you guys use a lot of machine learning but at the end you still have a, a system where if companies wanted to uh, uh, enrich or improve the results, they can employ experts. So this is an extremely important point, I think, uh, uh, and I'm guilty as charged, but we have been, especially in academia, thinking about automating data cleaning process as a mandate, as, a, as something exciting to do, and indeed it has a lot of algorithmic uh, and, and, and systems problems with it. But the reality is nobody will adopt a fully automated uh, uh, cleaning where the machine mess with the data without uh, uh, the custodians and, and the stewards approval and, and without somebody who's using this data tell us about how it will be used and uh, how clean is clean. And um, one of the innovations that I think are very uh, uh, fundamental in entertainment technology is how to judiciously involve the user in the loop. So instead of talking about uh, a dichotomy that tells you that it's fully automated or completely uh, human curated, in fact, human can be in the loop driving the machine and being involved at the right uh, time points where the machine needs guidance, when the machine needs approval, when the machine needs verification. So the ability to have this full synergy between different roles of users and experts and the machine learning that can do the mundane tasks uh, and the repetitive tasks and, and, and find some insights is, is really crucial and also exciting, both as, uh, uh, as, as a value proposition in, in a startup, but also as a research problem in academia. So I have for our data scientists uh, listening to this, uh, at a high level, what types of machine learning techniques uh, come into play in, uh, in this area? So uh, uh, to, to simplify things, uh, I, I'll tell you about machine learning techniques that can be used in, in this area, not necessarily the details of what's happening in Tamer, but in a, in, a, in a nutshell, we were looking for a classification process. We're employing a lot of classifiers to tell us, for example, that 
uh, this record is this record, or or this column is highly related to this other column, or this source is highly related to this other source. So it's a it's a well understood classification process. And as uh, uh, your audience know, that with this machine learning and classification, we need training. We need somebody to tell the machine a lot of examples of what constitutes uh, a resemblance or similarity or connection. So there will be engineering issues uh, around choosing the features of the data to train on, such that when the machine look at these features, they can decide on their own if two records or if two entities are the same or not. And we need a lot of examples and getting training data that cover the space. Uh, and you know the way uh, we use the users to continuously train the machine so we get better as uh, Tamer get more involved in the in, in the operations inside the, the customer kind of uh, behind the customer uh, wall then every month every every round of training every verification every interaction makes the system smarter on being able to classify better these bits and pieces of data so it's a classification process and there are other also standard uh, 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 techniques like clustering uh, that we use heavily as well to be able to represent collections of things that represent the same word, real world entity, uh, entity merge uh, and things like that. So I'm sure most of your audience will, especially the data scientists, will, can relate to some of these problems. By the way, uh, you know, now, now that you've uh, built this system that's uh, in industry, in your mind, what were some of the challenges that surprised you? Uh, you know, so for example, uh, for building something of a system like this that uh, that would need to scale to probably many more data sources that you had access to as an academic. So one of the surprises that I think will face most academics get, getting into industry is uh, how uh, the magnitude of engineering and production overhead over just getting the idea in a prototype. We, we, build, <laughs> we build systems all the time. And, and, the whole, and, you know, uh, isn't this kind of, the, there's a joke among computer scientists, professors, that, uh, that absolutely. A, a system dies when the graduate student graduates. Right? A- absolutely. I, I, as guilty as charged, I have, I have a couple of those of my own. I try hard, and even the one that I tried really hard to maintain it, either myself or involving another student, it lasted another three, four years, and then died again, either for the lack of interest, maintainability, and, 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 and many other things. There is a, a big engineering uh, undertake. We're extremely uh, proud of our engineering team. They're fantastic. Well, uh, my students, and, and they're actually a, a bunch of uh, Waterloo, MIT, and, and, and CMU, Caltech, and multiple other, uh, you know, intelligent, uh, I call them intelligent kids, they're not kids at all, but they are really smart, and they're both smart engineers and researchers at the same time. So this, I think, this gap between delivering a prototype and delivering a system that works and how to pay attention to all the details to make it uh, resilient to uh, mishaps from the user, uh, mishaps of the data, uh, is, is, is for me uh, mind-blowing. And ironically, there is a tons of research problems in that domain that completely were completely oblivious to it in academia because we did not get exposure to it. Not because we don't know if it's important, but we never saw it. Uh, and, and I'll give you just you know one anecdote. With we thought, for example, involving user uh, is just by asking user a question. And, and and in big enterprises, this usually have to go through security and roles and policies that are not usually in the same place. So how to how how to make these two work together 
is a fantastic research problem, but at the same time makes um, an adoptable system extremely challenging. So, and also, I guess, uh, as you point out, there are kind of these might be what we would consider somewhat mundane, right? So if you're an, an academic uh, person, some uh, topics that may be considered a little more mundane and not as interesting, but super important to the enterprise, as you point out, things like security, privacy, governance, those kinds of things. Right, right. In fact, one of these projects has, uh, one of these uh, uh, challenges has turned into actually a research problem. So me and Mike and, and, and a bunch of our students now are, are embarking on a, a transformation a project on how to automatically find lookup uh, values for, for data without knowing how the translation formula necessarily. And this came from industry. This did not came from us banging our head against the wall and saying, what are we going to do next? It came from a, as a real problem inspired by, uh, by, by Tamer customers. So you, you started to see you know, the, the innovation going in, in both directions where an academic prototype inspire a company to solve a real problem, but then that will allow you to tap into a big pool of real problems that will inspire academia to find interesting solutions for. So, by the way, so I think of Tamer's sweet spot as around, uh, so uh, me as an outsider, obviously, yeah. I think of your guys' sweet spot as around basically the, the variety, the variety dimension of big data, right? So where you have tons of different data sources and uh, you need a system like Daimler to build uh, kind of a framework to uh, to come up with kind of uh, that data set that people can actually use from uh, the diversity of many uh, data sources they may have in their enterprise. So uh, I guess to illustrate that, or maybe you, in case you don't agree, feel free to disagree. But in order to illustrate that, maybe we, you can walk us through like uh, a use case. Uh, you don't have to name, obviously, the customer or anything, but uh, uh, what would be kind of an illustrative use case for uh, where a system like Daimler really excels? Sure. Well, let me first congr congratulate you for not mentioning the word big data till way after <laughs> 20 minutes. That's impressive. Uh, and I knew that it's coming at some point. Uh, and uh, let me also agree strongly that among all the uh, big data Vs, we are uh, extremely excited about the variety piece uh, because uh, v variety complicates things. Variety makes most of the automation challenging. Uh, you will need uh, multiple multiple machine components and multiple component uh, multiple components in general in the system to deal with the heterogeneity and diversity of the data and and the sources that you're dealing with. So, uh, Tamer have a multiple uh, successful use cases that translated into solutions, and uh, one of them, the easiest thing to think about, is customer integration. Where uh, in the same enterprise and across multiple business units. Uh, every uh, business unit build their own understanding of what a customer is for that enterprise. And that will basically limit it to the type of data you know about that customer and the interactions around that customer. And that can be uh, structured, unstructured data, uh, the customer uh, profiles on LinkedIn and, and social media and what have you. And as an enterprise, the only way to unleash the value of this 
data repository is to have a 360 view of the same customer. I need to understand that that person that walked into that showroom, for example, for, for a car is the same person that was interacting with my, um, say, Toyota.com or something like that. And that's the same person that entered the other showroom somewhere else. Um, the, the same organization that was involved in this M&A is the same organization that did this other transaction a few months later. And having this 360 view requires connecting the dots between uh, what on the surface look completely different records, but they represent the same real world entity. They are represented differently and they are uh, talked uh, about differently. That means the schema of these records are also different. So the, the most common use cases, can you in a top-down fashion without somebody giving uh, you instructions what the global schema is, what the unified record look like, because that's impossible. People tried that and it failed miserably in most cases, or it became extremely uh, difficult to maintain. So how in a top-down uh, fashion discover what will be kind of the global schema look like, and even in a fuzzy way, uh, top-down discover what will be the clusters of what we think represent the same real-world entity is and how to run that by the user for, for and custodians and steward to verify it, and then help shepherding a process that would provide eventually one representation at the right granularity of description to that customer. I'm not sure that answers your question. Yeah, yeah. I, no, I mean, I think actually uh, uh, this is actually a common and very important problem in many enterprises. And uh, I'm assuming uh, you guys solve this problem in precisely the way that you described how Tamer works earlier, which is a combination of machine learning and human experts. Absolutely. And uh, the directionality of the problem is extremely important. We, we're, we, we always talk about bottom-up versus top-down as a, as a different way of handling data integration. So data integration, as you mentioned earlier, 30 years old problem, maybe more. And, and uh, we thought that the problem is once you figure a global schema, a unified golden schema, then your job is how to connect the dots to that, to that representation. And it's seldom the case in, in reality. Uh, this is that, that evolves over time. And, and unless you discover this from the sources and let the data speak to you, it's not going to happen. By the way, when was Tamer founded? What year? I think it's 2013. Okay. We launched in, uh, in, in April uh, last year, I think. So 2013, so a lot of open source distributed uh, systems already existed by the time you guys started the company. So to what extent did you leverage some of these uh, popular systems? Uh, you know, I mean, the, the things that come to mind are Hadoop, Spark, Kafka, all of these things. Or did you guys build most of uh, most of the things from scratch. Well, of course not. I mean, we uh, we you know it's whenever we whenever we can tap into these, we we tap into these. So we definitely right now we uh, uh, we can ingest data from HDFS stores. On uh, some of uh, our customers have their data sitting in what people refer to a data lake, and and they would like us to be part of that lake and access data to this lake. And in this lake, you will find the systems that you mentioned, all of them. Are you will find Spark and Hadoop and Oracle installations and also some open source stuff like, like Postgres or what have you. And, uh, and it's part of the variety challenge, I guess, Ben. So let's, uh, let's kind of switch gears again and go back to your uh, uh, role as a CS professor in academic. And actually, uh, I found it very interesting the way you describe your journey to uh, Tamer and data integration, this improbable 
journey from probabilistic computing <laughs> to data integration. So, so let me ask you, um, what other things have caught your eye recently in terms of what things in academia should we be paying attention to in industry? So I will, I'm going to throw out one thing out there, which you already mentioned, uh, which I think the NSF has been making a push for, which is probabilistic computing. So what is that something that uh, we'll see out in industry anytime soon? I, I think a different version of it. So uh, the Canadian uh, version of NSF, the NSERC, has been actually generous to us here and uh, uh, give, give us uh, actually a, 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 what we call an accelerator grant. So it's extra amount of money. When I, uh, in, in my proposal, we just mentioned uh, pragmatic issues in data cleaning. And I kind of listed all the data cleaning challenges I learned uh, from my journey with Tamer and, and before, um, and, and it seems that it was uh, received extremely well as well. So there is a big appetite in the funding agency and in academia to solve, uh, to solve real, real industry problems. And uh, data integration has been and will continue to be a big unsolved problem. And the more we dig into this problem, the more uh, we discover how hard and ugly it is. And it's extremely easy to put up a bunch of assumptions that make the problem interesting, algorithmically irrelevant in, in, in terms of impact. And, and we need to, to, do, to, to be careful about that balance. Uh, distributed computing, like I can tell you in the database community, it's extremely so, easy. To- I thought that you were also interested early on in probabilistic computing. So I guess my question is, uh, you know, um, at what point do we do probabilistic computing techniques and systems become more common, you think? in in in, in uh, industry not just academia i think it already is and you know what take tamer for example tamer works with probabilistic uh, reasoning oh, okay. about data so okay. uh, you know w- once you start to say machine learning most of these uh, machine oh, learning have have probabilistic models okay. and we started to re- reason about this uncertainty and at, at the at, you know b- behind the scene there's probabilistic models that, that guide our reasoning and oh, our inference yeah, and, yeah. and all that. So it just was, has been repurposed as opposed to just dealing with this uncertain database and probabilistic models explicitly. It started to guide models and systems that uh, it's, it's a very interesting vehicle because it can uh, holistically reason about so many problems at the same time when all of them can represented as random events and uh, and and uh, and probable events and things like that so yeah, it guess, has been a very yeah i guess i was uh, I, I got a little bit confused cuz I, th- I what i was actually asking about was probabilistic programming so okay that's yeah that's sorry. a different that's a different yeah, that's topic. a different thing. yes that's a different topic and i'm not probably the right person to tell yeah, you yeah, something yeah, yeah. intelligent there so let me throw out a few other topics that at least i think are you know are interesting and uh, I'm not sure to what extent academics are looking at, but, you know, let's look at the computing systems, for example. Uh, so GPU, CPU cache, many core, those kinds of things. Uh, at least GPUs have made a comeback because of deep learning and, yes, and yeah. things like that. So uh, are you guys looking at that uh, in academia as well? 
uh, I'm not looking at that personally, but I have colleagues across the corridor from me that that's uh, that, that they do a lot of uh, they do a lot of that, and uh, it's it's even more prevalent than this in in the database community, and and we we have these major conferences where we meet at least three times a year, and and uh, this is where everybody celebrate their results in a highly competitive environment, and it's extremely. Uh, uh, refreshing to see that uh, that that we started to tap into these realistic problems, but it's also easy to see that the community can be clustered now into big pots of problems. One of them is what you just mentioned right now: adapting to new hardware. Uh, we started to, to to hear a lot about in-memory databases and and how that changed everything, and uh, and and we need to know more about the internal architecture stack of machines uh, using GPUs and yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and then even and, uh, you have kind of the the next generation SSDs, you know, the non-volatile RAM. Uh, absolutely, and FPGAs, and how to use that, and uh, so the, uh, there are more and more papers in that domain. In fact, there are workshops, uh, specialized workshops around the main conferences dedicated to new hardware, uh, new storage uh, infrastructures, and and how it affects uh, 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 specifically database problems. So most of the paper will be having the shape of taking an old problem that assumed uh, a, a certain hardware stack and how everything changed when uh, you throw uh, GPUs in the mix or huge memory or, 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 or SSDs or what have you. So that's, a, that's a definitely a big direction and we see more and more papers, again, by necessity, because these hardware are being adopted by users and big vendors need to cater uh, their algorithms and their uh, distribution uh, to 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 these customers. By the way, in in uh, my world, at least Strata, right? So one one thing that's uh, really big again, I guess, is the velocity aspect, real time. Uh, yes. And uh, largely because there's been a lot of uh, improvement in the distributed stream processing systems that uh, are common in industry. So here I'm talking about things like Kafka, Spark Streaming, correct, Storm. Correct and things like that. And obviously, uh, many of the applications, I guess, come from IT operations, right? So managing uh, managing data centers and things like that. But there's a whole wave of applications that are now starting to be talked more and more about around IoT, right? So Internet of Things. And of course. Smart of course. And things like that. So yes. um, are, you, are you guys in academia following? Uh, these things as well? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, there is uh, what we call a university-wide uh, uh, grand, grand application uh, about uh, around IoT and, 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 and how it affects economy in general. And uh, we still didn't have the results from, for Waterloo, but it's, uh, it's, it's such a massive undertake that uh, interdisciplinary, so it's usually between engineering, computer science, and uh, the the premier institute and others. Uh, and that what, what's important for the database community from IoT and, and others that uh, streams became uh, a much more rich uh, application domain because it used to be only the stock market. Yes, uh, yeah, the yeah. sensors and and the, the kind of a more understood application that if you build something specific to it, uh, nobody cares. And uh, uh, but now it became uh, pervasive enough that it, it kind of warrants its own uh, engine. 
if you like. And you, you started to see uh, uh, some, some of these in, in terms of startups uh, as well. Like, you know, uh, you, can, you can see some of the, this high OLTP uh, in-memory uh, database mentioning how uh, uh, streaming and real-time is an important aspect of, uh, of their existence. So it became more complex and uh, more, more pervasive and uh, it will definitely trigger a lot of uh, reincarnation of what we've done in the uh, early 2000 about stream data processing uh, system like systems like Aurora and Nile Stream and and others. It's, it's, it was a big topic, but I think it did not die. Uh, yeah, in, Mike, in Mike, Mike Mike Franklin Mike Franklin's Treviso. Uh, absolutely, and HiFi and the, 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 at some point I can tell you our our, our conferences were bombarded by uh, uh, streaming papers and even if the even if the paper did not have the word stream in it that at least the title will have the word stream in it because it was so hard but i think uh, uh the, the people failed to find applications beyond the traditional ones and if you have only uh, five to ten applications where everybody talking about it's it's hard to justify a new paradigm uh or, or, or a new system that handle that it's not the case anymore right so let's close with talking about uh, your role as a teacher, right? So uh, at least in my personal network, uh, University of Waterloo keeps coming up and uh, I've come to regard it as the best CS program in Canada. Sorry, Toronto and McGill. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, I think probably because, you know, uh, Matei Saharia, the creator of Spark, who's a good friend of mine, is from Waterloo. And, oh, cool. uh, you know, as I was telling you before we started this interview, uh, one of the hottest topics in uh, uh, Bitcoin and the blockchain is uh, a, a new system called Ethereum, also created by a former student at Waterloo as well, Vitalik Buterin. But uh, so now that you've had a little bit of taste doing a startup, so how, are, how does this change how you train people, uh, potential data scientists and data engineers for industry? Well, I wish I can say I, I was great on my own and I didn't learn anything, but it's not true. So I, I learned a lot. Uh, uh, it's, I think it, uh, I have been always interested, in, because this is how I was trained, in, uh, in having the students getting early exposure to, to, to industry and, and, and real problem. I mean, it's the type of what I'm doing, right? I'm not, I cannot classify myself as a theoretician and, and hence I need to kind of tap into a part of well-understood theoretical problems. We need to get our real problems from uh, from the real world. So we have been doing internships a lot, and I did a lot of internships and during my PhD studies, and, and almost all my uh, students uh, spend time uh, with big labs and industry, and they come back uh, different people. And I think I've been leaking a lot of uh, research problems that I learned from Tamer and from direct interaction with customers. What are the pain points? Uh, what are the problems that, uh, that, that that people care about? And when I come back and, and, and we chat with my students in regular meetings or, or even offline, uh, they are actually amazed. And they usually ask me the question, really, people care about that? And I say, yeah, I mean, people care about that. They are, willing to pay money and then when they go and say but that's easy and and they go and do it you often come back and say it's not easy at all and there are lots of these engineering considerations algorithmic considerations otherwise it would not work and i usually get a big smile on my face and i say you know that's that's the beginning of uh, that student know what what he's doing so it has been affecting me in terms of finding the right impactful problem quicker if you like have a 
better appreciation of what people care about, what are the pain points, uh, and, and, and get, got accelerated as I speak to customers and I deal with engineers and, and build the real system. By the way, at least in the U.S. academic world uh, and universities, there's a rush of uh, uh, programs in data science. You know, it could be institutes, some, some places are starting to offer master's degrees. So are you seeing that term data scientist, data engineer, uh, permeate in Canada as well? Absolutely. And in, uh, in fact, uh, I was just talking to a local company here in, in Waterloo and they were reaching out uh, for me to uh, to get some feedback on uh, how to hire. And the uh, first thing they mentioned is we have some money to hire data scientists because we need data analytics and, and, and so on. And you can start seeing those in um, in small programs, not, not necessarily a big centers in Canada. It's just the Canadian nature of not following the hype that quickly. Uh, and there's a lot of funding for basic research as well. So uh, I, I anticipate in the States there will be uh, a bigger rush uh, to, because it's also tied to funding. Um, uh, but it's definitely a term that we started to use uh, a lot in our papers, in our pitches, and in dealing with companies as well. And it's a, it's a, it's an understood term. The word data science once it started to appear in the Economist and New York Times, and people read about it, and average Joe in the street will know what you're talking about. And and we have been we have been using this. We have been leveraging that to communicate our research a lot better, actually. You know, I mean, I think that uh, with. AmpLab success with all the systems that came out of AmpLab, Spark, Mesos, Stachyon. I, I really hope that uh, this collaboration between academia and industry continues and those systems aren't exceptions, that uh, academia starts producing uh, systems that uh, we in industry uh, can embrace. Absolutely. And Tamer is the latest. Uh, Tamer came from an academic prototype and it was published first in Insider. And uh, a few months later, it transformed into, um, uh, you know, one of the exciting things that happened uh, to me in my life. So, All right. So, Ihab Oyas, thank you for uh, joining us today on The Data Show. Thanks, Ben. It has been a pleasure. You can follow Ihab on Twitter, at Ihab Ilyas. Thanks for joining us. If you like the show, you can subscribe through iTunes or Stitcher or TuneIn.com or SoundCloud and never miss an episode.